Hello, welcome to the Lost Heart Podcast. I'm Paul and I'm here with Gar. That's me. And today we are doing a volume two because we rarely do them. It's, we're not resting on our laurels. We just sometimes have to do them because we we always say when we were doing the first version, I'm going, geez, we have to do another one of these. Yeah. For for just just because we had to, because the, the first one we couldn't fit enough on. And now we're only doing five songs per playlist, so we definitely have to. And it is best songs ever, volume two. Exactly. Uh, I wanted to do this when we both did because it allowed us to be a bit more free than we did the first time because sorry I have a blocked nose that's why I sound like I'm crappy but this lovely new microphone and then it's, I made it sound <laughs> like a USB thing from Wish <laughs> well it's fucking great isn't it and like like the microphone can pick up so many more frequencies that my own body can now not deliver to you exactly yeah <laughs> half your voice is gone yeah, it's only my out part that's it. <laughs> My voice is gone. Therefore, <laughs> the microphone is like, oh, mate, there's only so much I can do for you. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Just bought like the Whopper pair of Nike Air Max for a one-legged man. Exactly. Look, <laughs> if one's spared uh, up. Yeah, we, we, we decided that the two of us could get to be a bit more free than we were the last time. Although, yeah. I, I still I still picked, and I'm sure you did pick songs that may not be... These aren't really my favourite songs. But um, I know that they're the best songs in the world. Yeah. Some of them are. Yeah, loads of these, uh, like... I'll never t- any every single song whether I picked it or you picked it. If it's on the radio, I'm not turning oh, the radio yeah. off. Oh no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it. Um, I'd never, I'd never turn it down. Like every single song on here is one of the greatest songs ever written. Um, yeah. The thing about this is, that, as we said, uh, this is volume two. We could do a thousand volumes on this. That's the beauty of it. And everybody knows these songs already. So we're just going to give you a little bit of background on them. And it's just a cool little playlist of absolute bangers. And I'm looking at it here. A lot of them are. Yeah, good few of these are all in the same kind of era as well. Yeah, I think that's because songs were better then because they had more. <laughs> like music, if you think about it, if you give another music another fifty years, it won't be any better. No, it can only sort of degrade and have a few amazing hits and albums. Exactly, you know, because technology has has gone as far as it probably can near enough to can in music, like. 60s and 70s and 80s they were discovering mad new ways to do music and you got these crazy effects you never heard before mm-hmm. and it added to the sound when you first heard it and and then there was like styles of music there's only so many styles of music the only thing we get now are hybrids of two different types pretty much that's that's grand but and weird covers like uh sampled covers and stuff like that you know yeah like it's it's weird music has a sort of it will always have amazing albums coming out all the time but it won't be this new amazing thing yeah, I can't think. I mean, maybe we're wrong, but I can't imagine anything new coming out that doesn't just sound like a slight variant of something old. No, like if you get me. The only thing I could think of is like trap music, but it's not not just like elements of things that have been out before. Pretty There's much. a new explosion of like doom metal yeah. now, and uh, that's that's a call on the seventies and eighties. Exactly. Like, 60s and 70s maybe actually yeah, being around like everyone's being around it just gets a little refresher course and that again that's fine yeah. as new that people discover amazing songs yeah that doesn't mean like a song that couldn't come out tomorrow that could go on this list it's probably Absolutely. unlikely unlikely but it yeah I would, I would hate to think that music is now sort of a dead end it's not no it's, it's not it's a, new windows will open it, new doors will open and like as course. people discover old styles of music they'll put their own little twist on it and stuff like that um what i found in the last 20 years that music's been getting simpler and simpler um much uh, on the same kind of track as something like social media where people's um attention spans are just lower so the a lot of the 
the little things that make older songs great, you know, like whether it be a little refrain in the middle or a little middle eight or something that's kind of cool, but doesn't yeah. necessarily jump out with you, but definitely adds to the song. Like that's all cut away and you're stripped down to your two and a half minute instant banger. It opens with a chorus. Do you know what I mean? Like that type yeah. of thing. Just bam, 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 bam. Uh, fits into a TikTok video. And good night. Like I listened to that new, uh, Eminem put a new song out this week or last week and it's one of the worst things I ever heard. In, in my entire life Jesus. and he just has a, he just has a terrible habit of picking uh, like singles that are just terrible just real bad like look at the last yeah. two albums he put out there's some amazing songs about those albums I don't think any of them are released as singles you know maybe one of them uh, yeah. this new thing is it's honest to god horrific I can't even remember what it's called that's how little I remember <laughs> it like I watched the whole music video and everything I think like what we were trying to say about this is that like the 60s and 70s and 80s you were hearing just new shit that you'd never heard before mad ideas and and we'll go into some of the ways like I have a couple of things here like regarding a couple of my choices Mm. that recording wise that were the first time this band did this or it was ever done or something like that Yeah. but of course we'll always have incredible music yeah but the reason that the songs are like you said from all these eras is because this is when music was just still flying forward into the future now it's not really going anywhere into the future. It's just great. And it's great now, but it's not, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere into the future. Yeah, but just kind of treading water right now. Anyway, let's get yeah. into, uh, let's get into these, yeah, these choices. We'll, we'll get into the first one. I think your first, so give us your first best song ever, volume two. Um, my first song on this playlist is Blown in the Wind by Bob Dylan. Yeah, I don't really like this song. But really? I, I know that it's one of the best songs ever written. Yeah, there you go. Um, I love this song. Uh, I love a lot of Bob Dylan stuff. Uh, I always did. I always did since... Uh, this is a weird one. A lodger that lived in my grandmother's house had a, a little crappy, like, little CD player. And the only CD he had was, like, the best of Bob Dylan. And when he used to go home to the country on the weekends, I'd go up and put the CD into a CD player. And I had yeah. batteries in it. And I'd walk around my granny's house listening to the best of Bob Dylan. And I kind of got into it then. And obviously I had like this on it and, you know, Mr. Tambourine, man, all, all the stuff that you expect from like the best of Bob Dylan. But I got mad into it. But I never got so mad into it that I actually went out and started buying all his albums up because I don't think I could listen to uh, oh, a Bob Dylan it. album. I could absolutely but, listen to the best of Bob Dylan, but I don't like, think whenever I I, I listen into his lyrics, they're so good. Like, they're, they're brilliant. He, yeah, he, he has an unusual way of doing things. I don't really think his voice is great. And I honestly... Stuff like Mr. Tambourine Man and This Blown the Wind, I know they're folk songs, but they sound like Jesus songs to me, and they do nothing for me. They co- Yeah, they, they definitely have elements of that to it. So this was written in 62 and released in 63 on the album The Freewheel and Bob Dylan, which is his second album. Um, kind of, it was his, his attempt at a protest song to just ask kind of rhetorical questions about war and freedom and peace and blah, 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 blah. Uh, 1994, it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. 2004, Rolling Stone ranked it as the 14th greatest song ever written. <coughs> um, the melody comes from an old slave song called No More Auction Block. So right. uh, th- this song has kind of been deconstructed a, a thousand times. D- Dylan was a swine for... Um, he was kind of a swine for... He'd hear like a melody for an old folk song and he'd go and just grab pick up a guitar. That's why When you listen to this song, like there's nothing going on in this song. There's an acoustic guitar and there's a harmonica. And... 
the acoustic guitar, uh, yeah, and it's just a, sm- a smoke, yeah. Um, uh, 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 the acoustic guitar, pan- one guitar panned three quarters the way right, and then the harmonica three quarters the way left, and his vo- voice just in the middle. Now, the way it's recorded, he's got this really kind of immediate feel to it. It's not a long song, right? it's two two minutes, 45 seconds. Like, it's a quick enough song. But this song exploded with, like, the youth because it was, it was a protest song, and it just resonated with them. They were mad for it. They were absolutely mad for it. Um, the song was covered by a group called Peter, Paul and Mary within three weeks of the album coming yeah. out. And they kind of made that song famous, not not Bob Dylan. People came back to Dylan after the Peter, Paul and Mary one. Um, we talked about that, how back in the day songs were covered almost instantly. Constantly. Like, they, they put a song out and it didn't do it away. Right, we're going to give it to someone else. I, I've, I've, Peter, I've, Peter, Paul and Mary are obviously the Puff the Magic Dragon people, aren't they? I think so, yeah. Like th- yeah. This is this is maybe the second or third one of these songs that's going to pop up on the playlist for me tonight. Like uh, Dylan claims he wrote the song in 10 minutes, then went to play a gig in... Um, in in the village in New York, uh, New York City, and performed it there and then. He, he, they used to have this thing where, apparently, it was a big deal that you would play a song for like a year or two live on the circuit before you recorded it, because yeah. it meant that people couldn't license it from the record label and cover it and do you out of money. So what you would want right. to do is you'd want to tour the hell out of that song and get everybody on the circuit knowing that it was your song. This is your song. This is a Bob Dylan song. This is a Bob Dylan song. This is a Bob Dylan song. But this is a Bob Dylan song. And then when everybody knows it. Oh, I've heard that before. That's a Bob Dylan song. Yeah, exactly. And then you go and record it. You throw it out on an album. Because what will happen is that the the scavengers will be waiting. And they'll want to give money to the record label to cover it. And they could make it into a bigger song. But you want everybody to know that this big giant song is your song to begin with. Because no one's going to tell anybody that it's a cover. You know, it wasn't such a big. Nobody knew what was a cover back then. It was very hard to tell. There's no internet, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, the, the, way, the way the vocals are recorded, like, it's super warm. Like It sounds like he's sitting beside you on the sofa. It's really, like because it's so stripped back, and it's, rec- it's recorded very well. The like, guitar sounds good. Harmonica even sounds good. It's hard to make harmonica sound good unless it's sitting in the middle of like, a big yeah. kind of blues traveller style kind of um, shit kicker style song. Like, you know, but it's just a harmonica sitting alongside a guitar there's not like, three things going on in that song but it works really really well like I know it's a good song I just I don't like it yeah, you know that way yeah, where you may, just... maybe he's heard it too many times um, oh, no do you know what it is it just sounds like a nursery rhyme or something oh, it, def- it definitely is like lyrically like like I said it's been deconstructed a thousand times they know where he got his lyrics from like they know the melody came from that No More Auction Block song they know that uh, lyrically he took the lyrics from Jesus some poet, uh, part of the lyrics came from some may he was a poet. Um, there's a bunch of stuff like that. That he wasn't a Robert Dylan, he was just almost a reflection of everybody he was hanging around with, you know. Um, he's an, an interesting bloke, a very interesting bloke. He actually pops up again in this playlist, um, in a couple of songs as well for something else because he Dylan is rather important. Maybe not musically, but the way he went about his business is kind of important. So, um, anyway, my first choice for tonight, Blown in the Wind by Bob Dylan, uh, released in 1963. And like I said, covered by, um, uh, what was I say, Mary, Paul and Peter, or the fuck they're called. Yeah. Um, I'm, back, I'm back coursing this week. Um, uh, they're back, and they, they drove to like number one within three weeks. And then word gets around 
I said, well, hang on. And then, of course, everybody, they used to do this thing where they print the lyrics in, like, the, the kind of local music papers and music rags. And that was yeah. that was a big deal because people wanted to sing along to the lyrics. But oh, it right. was hard to get a hold of records sometimes. So people would get the printouts from the newspapers and then go to the gigs, oh, having learned, yeah, having learned the lyrics. So they could show up knowing the song before they even heard the song. And unlike lyric sites on the internet, they wouldn't give you fucking AIDS. Yeah, exactly. It's a thousand, a thousand pop-ups and be wrong. Um, and be completely wrong. Oh, 100%. There's a, um, <laughs> uh, Esoteric from uh, Zarface, does a, he does a podcast called The Zarcast, and he does a feature, he does like a new episode every two or three weeks, but he does a feature where he goes onto like, whatever it is, genius.com, or one of the lyrics, Lyrics FM, or one of those things yeah. that does lyrics, and he just picks like a Zarface song, and reads how, how wrong they are. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a section in his podcast, like where they get his lyrics wrong. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, anyway, who is your first one? My first one is uh, David Bowie, Heroes. It was tough yeah, for me to pick a David Bowie song. In fact, I had the whole part written for Ashes to Ashes. He was on our best songs ever, our first episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. With Quicksand, I believe. Yeah, he was, but like he's got to come up probably in the third and fourth one. <laughs> so um, I was going to pick Ashes to Ashes, like I think I was saying. Yeah. And uh, I, as much as I loved that, I just thought about Heroes and I went, nah, it's Heroes, isn't it really? It's iconic, it. yeah. So this is from the 1990, 1997 album, 1977 album, Heroes. Uh, he had a good album in 97, didn't he? No, 95 and then 90. What was 95, Earthling? Yeah, and then mm. there was Outsiders, wasn't there? So. Anyway, we are talking about the 70s, so we have to get back to it, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, after recording the album Low, he toured with Iggy Pop as, a key, as his keyboard player mm. and recorded the album Lust for Life with him. And he was kind of in a cleaner place then because this mm. was after he kicked a lot of the drugs that he was doing before the low, before the Berlin trilogy. And this album is the second mm. from the Berlin trilogy between Low and Lodger. This is inspired by the German band Noise Song Hero and Waiting for the Man by Velvet Underground because he wanted that kind of upbeat drum, mm. punchy sound. This uses a mad vocal gating progression technique. So it was recorded after most of the session musicians had finished the song and they'd gone home mm. and they used a multi-latch system devised by the producer Tony Visconti and this is mad it it uses it misuses gating it's a technique to control the volume so three microphones were used to capture the vocal with one microphone nine inches away from him I think you might have talked about this before at some stage can't remember and then there was one 20 feet away and one 50 feet away and each microphone was muted as the next one was triggered. Uh, so with the music built, Bowie was forced to start sing louder and louder and louder, which mm. by the end is why by the end of the song he's just screaming. <laughs> so I don't still fully understand this gating thing, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But I kinda think I do. I've heard about this this microphone thing before yeah. where three of them and one of them at the back like and they mute or something. That's fucking madness anyway. Um <laughs> This is the song that Dave Gann was singing in a, like a jam session when Martin Gore uh, sorry when Vince Vince Clark heard him singing it and said yeah you're hired for Depeche Mode deadly that's very interesting yeah now, the quotation marks on the song they're actually on the song I never copped this before Heroes has like inverted commas or quotation marks whatever hmm. on it all the time 
I didn't realize that because normally when you see it on Spotify, they've all got them on it. I think. Yeah. Not Spotify, but uh, like Wiki or somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah. If you ever saw heroes written with quotation marks, you wouldn't really think about it. No. It's actually. Oh, it's the sorry, it's the album that has it, not the single. Yeah, the album. Yeah. So that, that helps distinguish them. But he said it was to uh, create a bit of like be a bit ironic about it. All right. But I don't know. It's still quite an uplifting song. Heroes. Who? <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> oh, yeah, heroes. Yeah, he's just like that. Yeah. Ooh, we could be heroes, heroes just for one day. Yeah. For one whole day. <laughs> that all is it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like this is a very upbeat um, song that lacks any kind of sinister. Like it's not a fucking not a flumpy little song. Like it's, no, it's a. Uh, it's just weird for chug to it. That I always for Bo- liked. For Bowie, it's quite like optimistic and, and kind of, not that his stuff wasn't, but like moving to towards the eighties, especially in the eighties, he got kind of real new wavy and a yeah. bit like Ashes to Ashes, like the album. This was an album after after this one. Mm. He's talking about Major Tom turning into a junkie. You know? Yeah, and it's, it's got, got a little bit more sinister. And in the nineties, he got real like start course and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. So this was, I don't know, maybe it's because he was a bit cleaner. Maybe saw the, co- saw the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, it was co-written by uh, Brian Eno. Am I right about that? Yeah, I'm actually. Yeah, uh, that's why it has that's why it has Brian Eno, Eno on keys mm. and Robert Fripp on guitar from Kings of Crimson. Kings of Crimson. I am so on antihistamines. <laughs> you can hear it, can't you? Kings of Crimson. <laughs> Kings of Leon. Isn't that? Imagine. Yeah, uh, that's I'm in bits, absolutely in bits. That's why heroes the end of the, my hero segment is destroyed now. It's wrecked. <laughs> it's over. Forget it. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Forget I think, it. I think as soon as hopefully as soon as I said heroes, everyone went, Yeah. Yeah. Great. You know what I mean? To be fair. I, I think everything on this list is one of those like, yeah, of course it is. Like, yeah. 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 Like this is weird. Like we picked I think we told the line nicely between our favourites and what we know are the best songs. Yeah, like I again I like everything on here. Are they my favourites? No. Like, I, I don't think anything on here is, like, one of my favourite songs ever. But I love uh, each and every one of them. But yeah, yeah. You know? Like, I don't know, there's, a, there's a load there that, I, again, like I said, I'd never turn off. I'd never go, go out my way not to listen to them. But I may listen to them all the time, absolutely not. We, it's, not this, these, are, these lists are big compromises for us. They're not oh, Garrett Hall's favourite songs. They yeah. are what we think are the best songs Definitely. Yeah, so look, that Definitely. was David Bowie. Who was your next best song ever? My next one is, uh, again, another real obvious one, and it's Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. Yeah, but that is great, though. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it's not their song. It's written by Alex North and a guy called Hoy Zaret. Uh, originally, it's a weird one, actually. It was originally written for a movie called Unchained in 1955, sang by a guy called Todd Duncan, uh, and it's being covered... Uh, an insane amount of times it's been covered by over 670 artists over 1500 different times Jesus and it's, it was just literally uh, apparently it was written in like one night uh, the guy who was uh, scoring the movie in 1955 was asked so listen can you do us up like a theme song we know you're doing all the incidental music and all. Can, we, need a, we need a theme song for this Unchained movie uh, and the only thing is, lyrically, it has to have the word unchained in it. That, that's it. That's all we're asking for you. So he went off. 
he didn't want to do he wanted to go fishing or something instead so they just kept offering him more, more and more money <laughs> until he said alright just I'll, I'll bring something around to you tomorrow or whatever or next week and he showed up with this uh, Unchained Melody and literally he doesn't say Unchained in it anywhere anywhere at all so they were a bit they were a bit pissed off about that but when they heard it they were like oh that's a bit spicy that is now the original version is it's not a million miles away from from this one like this Reuters Brothers one this is the jukebox version like if you say Unchained Melody you instinctively think of the, the Reuters Brothers is that what jukebox version means yeah just the bog standard the, the one you know knows. yeah Okay. So that this is the one. Like the, again, you got six hundred and seventy different people recording it, fifteen hundred different versions of it down the rounds. Uh, the reason being is it, it's kind of unusual. We talked a little bit about this when we were talking about Phil Spector. Phil Spector was on the. He, he was meant to be producing the album that this was on, but he didn't. He just produced what he thought were going to be the singles, and yeah. this ended up being a B side. But when the seven inch was sent out to the record stations, they didn't play the A side. They played the B side. They played Unchained Melody. And it just took off. It was huge. Um, yeah. It was covered by everybody. Like, the, the, the MTO English Egypt's, um Anton Deck? No, the, the older version of Anton Deck. One of them is in, was in Game oh, of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones, Robson and Jerome. <laughs> Robson and Jerome. They've done a big version of it as well. <laughs> um, but the, the Righteous Brothers had this deal. So, the Righteous Brothers originally were three guys. It was uh, Bill Medley, Bucky Heard, and Bobby Hatfield. Bill Medley and Bucky Heard. There's some cool names for lads and bands. Bill Medley, Bucky Heard, Heard, and then no ever rebel would dare. (laughs) Exactly, and then it's just Bobby Hatfield, just Bobby Hatfield. Um, So they had a deal. Be a field full of hats. Exactly. (laughs) They had this deal that on every album, each one of them gets to sing a solo piece, right? Right. Uh, Because they started off as a five-man group called the Paramours. And the Paramours were together for for a couple of years before the the, the lads just left and started. I think called themselves yeah. the Righteous Brothers. One of the first examples, actually, of uh, what came to be known as Blue Eyed Soul, which is interesting. I, I think that's something we should do a podcast on because it's an interesting little subsect of music, Blue Eyed Soul, which is basically it, it was interesting actually because they were making soul music. So Blue Eyed Soul is basically white, uh, white people soul music. I didn't want to say. I was waiting yeah. for you to say. <laughs> it's just solo music by white people, but it was used as it was used by white DJs to kind of differentiate between uh, the music that was in like the R and B and black charts and what was in the the bog standard at the time white people charts. Do you know what I mean? It was used as right. that. But what happened then is that a lot of the a lot of the blue eyed soul actually became popular on the black radio stations as well. So when they would go to the these radio stations to be interviewed by the DJs who were black, playing for a black audience, they would give they would say say the Righteous Brothers came in, they they'd come in and say like here's my uh, my blue eyed soul brothers just to let the people Weird. at home know that these guys were white. You know what I mean? Just to kind of uh, separate them out a little bit, make them feel a little bit awkward. But it, it was never seen as a, as a bad term. It was just seen as a weird, neither here nor there term. But they were one of the first groups. The, the Beatles, in, in parts, were considered Blue White Soul, Tom Jones, um, Sonny and Cher, that kind of stuff. They would have all had kind of Blue White Soul hits. It, you could be a Blue White Soul band, but you could also release a Blue White Soul song. Let's put it that way. Right, and uh, so these uh, they they had a deal where they would get one solo piece, a pop per album, and I think right. it was um, it was Bucky Heard. Yeah, Bucky Heard wanted to wanted to sing this song. No, sorry, that's a lie. It was Bill Medley wanted to sing the song, but so did uh, Bobby Hatfield. 
So they flipped the coin over it, and Bobby Hatfield won. That's why just it's just Bobby Hatfield singing on the song. Isn't even though it's called the Rogers Brothers, it's just one fella singing. That's it. And some uh, some big high note in that. Uh, well, that's that's where it gets interesting because he sings a song. Uh, Bill Medley plays the world's sort of piano in it, and yeah. apparently they they thought it was going to be a bit of a throwaway thing as well. When it came out and it, it became a big big hit. Uh, Bill Medley said, "Listen, if I had an hour, it was going to be a big hit. I would have hired someone who actually knows how to play piano because I was sitting there like bing, 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 bing. You know, I'd, like only play a little bit of piano. I'm not very good. Um, I definitely should have got somebody in to actually play on this record. But we thought it was just filler to throw on the on the back end of a seven inch. You know, that Phil Spector told us was going to be a huge song, that, which yeah. wasn't the case whatsoever. Um, so apparently they recorded like four, recorded it the original way." The, the way it being recovered a thousand times before they recorded that like four times and then uh, Hatfield goes back in he says listen just let me I have this idea at the end of it I'm after rearranging it a little bit with the musicians let me go in and have a fifth punt of it and he went in he readjusted the whole kind of back end of the song and that's where you get that big giant uh, high note and stuff like that right. that's not in the original one uh, loads of lyrics kind of drawn out to fit and stuff like that and that was the one best, I stuck upon best bit of the song yeah exactly <laughs> but that was the new bit that, that um, Hatfield came up with apparently when he'd done it he wasn't happy and uh, he said into the microphone uh, to the, the guys in the studio I think um, Medley uh, Bill Medley was sitting there and the producer and, and the, the assistant engineer were all sitting there and Hatfield says I, I, can, I can do better um, let's go again and Medley just pressed the talkback button and said you can't you're done mate that was fucking unreal just get the fuck out of there. It's done. Perfect. So that was the take. And off they went. Knocked it out of the park. And it's a huge song. Um, obviously, it got, it got a, another big boost around in, in the early 90s when it was used as the Ghost song for Patrick Spazzy. That's right. Uh, it got another big boost in, in the 90s. I love that film. I don't care. Really Ghost is great, man. It's super. Uh, this, this suffers a little bit from that, that kind of 60s production, you know? Um, it's uh, like the, there's an orchestra playing so all the strings are panned 100% right and the guitars and electric piano are panned 100% left and the the backing vocals are panned 100% right and the vocals are dead centre like it's just it's alright if you're listening to it on a big hi for your home but yeah. you know, when you listen to stuff like that on headphones your, your head doesn't know what to do with it it's designed to be played through a big PA or something you know where your brain can figure it out but um they re- this is weird as well. If you're if you're bored and you want to hear something real bad, in 1991 they done the Righteous Brothers done an album called Reunion, and they re-recorded this song like oh, in stereo, oh, oh. and it is absolutely shockingly bad. Now, first of all, the voices aren't going to be as good as they were, right? <laughs> um, but you can nearly forgive that. But it almost sounds like something you would have heard in like a club in a village in the country you know what I mean it was, it's just this real bad kind of synthesizer piano sounds and why do like, people do this shit why, do, why bother I know he wants to in, in a way like to stereo or whatever yeah but Jesus Christ like it's like if someone if someone got arthritis and one of their, their fingers fell off arthritis and, and then they went I'm going to do that solo that I used to do oh mate I don't know but just get out, get out to the, the record label and get the master tapes you know get some yeah. digital copies of the master tapes and remix it you could do a deadly job but all the original stuff because he the singing is not super strong it's not shocking bad but it's not super strong but what he does he does that like uh, Hatfield does this Mariah Carey-esque you know oh my 
love. You know, just like uh, starts messing with the time and of it and drawing stuff out. It's like, shut up and do it right. You're driving everybody mad. Nobody likes that. Like, do you know what? Do you know what they probably thought? Well, I hope they didn't think. You know what? This will be even more popular this time around. I guarantee yeah. you, that's what they thought. They're sitting around the studio going, "This is it now, lads. Like, we can do it's it again. More popular. This is and it, it sounds so good compared to the original. And everyone in the world when it came out went, absolutely not. Stick that up your whole sideways. Absolutely not. Um, but that was my second one. That's Unchained Melody. Um, Boy, the Righteous Brothers easily. Uh, but what it is, it's on the list. It's one of the <laughs> best songs it's, it's, ever. It's like facts. It's facts. Yeah. It's one of the best songs ever. It's just that it's that simple. Uh, who's your next yeah. one? My next one is uh, a song I played last night on the radio show. Actually, uh, Jefferson Airplane, "Somebody to Love." It's great. I just uh, I by, picked by this Jim song Curry. because yeah, I picked this song because it is one of the best songs ever, and that yeah. was the brief of that was the brief of the uh, assignment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when we said let's do best song ever, volume two, and I thought of this song, I went, "Well, that's one of the best songs ever." Yeah, written. let's just put that on there. So I put it on. No, honestly, genuinely, the way this song now makes I me only feel, have to think of four more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> the way this song makes me feel from the very first <coughs> opening bar of it, I just love this fucking mm-hmm. song so much. I ne- I think everybody loves this song. Yeah, it's one of those the ones that I don't think anybody. I don't know anybody goes. Oh, I fucking hate this song. Like, what? <laughs> How? And if they do, they're wrong. Yeah, they're, yeah. People can be wrong a lot. Like, yeah. not always, obviously, because. You're listening to us being right constantly. But here, here's the thing about music, right? I was thinking about this the other day. People say all the time that music is subjective. But it's not. Right? It's really not. Well, well, it, it can be. It it can be to a lesser degree. But there's some stuff that is just... Like, it just is. Like, it's just amazing. And anybody who says, no, nah, I'm not into it, they're just wrong. It's That's not a case of being subjective. Oh, like, right, yeah, yeah. They're just wrong. Some people are stupid though as well. Yeah, but that's fine. But that, or, you can't or, hide behind the idea of music being subjective just because you're fucking stupid. Do you know how I know that we're like sort of not taken that way? We're taken many, many ways, but not mm. that way. Um, we, we've we begrudgingly liked stuff before. Oh, yeah. So if you can't begrudgingly like something, then you've decided on it. You're not going to like it. Yeah. Then, then there's a chance that you might be wrong. Know you're wrong and just say no. Oh yeah, 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 it's a fucking exactly. weird way but to be. It's like be. people who decide they hate the Beatles because some cool, some edge lord mate of theirs says the Beatles are shy, and oh, yeah, they spend the mad, whole life mad, mad edge lord points for that. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, the Beatles, Beatles are shy. Yeah, they're, they're only the Beatles, one of the best bands the Beatles, ever. Look, like. first of all, the Beatles are about three bands. Yeah, like the eras are so different that you couldn't even say that that sounds like that. Exactly. So, so like, let's say very early Beatles towards very later Beatles mm. sound nothing alike. Nothing like. So you don't like either of those two weird. Like the happy-go-lucky, jangly fucking bullshit. Yeah, you don't like the Mersey beat stuff. Oh, fine. It's a bit simplistic. Fine. You know what I mean? But the, the stuff mixed with the Indian stuff on drugs? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. It's amazing. No, it's the same. Uh, yeah, it's the same, yeah. You imagine, fucking imagine, mutant. Imagine being that different with your scope of music as the Beatles were to have someone go, hey, all of it. After yeah. hey. that's It's just yeah. stupid and it bothers the life out of me. So that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> y- you can say that you're subjective about music, but just don't be hiding the fact that you're shy at music. Do you know what I mean? By saying that, no, no, I only like, you know, you trying to tell me that just because you're into like, pick, pick a genre, right? Pick uh, techno, right? There's loads of techno stuff I like. I don't know much about it, but I don't hate on it. But do I yeah. think that like the greatest techno song in the world is as good as the best Beatles song? No. <laughs> no. It's yeah. not like, it, you, know, I, you know what I mean? It's just not. You're trying to tell me that the best techno song in the world is equally as good as Eleanor Rigby. 
or a day in the life because it's and not. The, and then you read into like the mad stories of how they recorded it and how yeah. inventive and genius it was. And then you, the techno song was done in a bedroom. Yeah, like, in oh, a bedroom yeah, cool. in twenty minutes. Not, not to say that it could it's be. just the same loop over and over, over again, and they just high pass filter it. For you know, like again, I like loud that music. It's fun. It has a place in the world. <laughs> But is it as good as whatever? Pick a song, any song off this list. No, sorry. So you can't hide behind the subjective thing. You know what I mean? There's right yeah. and there's wrong. That now, <laughs> in between right and wrong, there is definitely a grey area where it's like I'm not really into them. But you have to be able to say like I'm not into them. Like, but I'm glad they exist. Do you know what I mean? That's, we we do that all the time. That's another thing that we do as well. Like we begrudgingly like stuff, and we also say I don't like it. It's not for me, but I realize it's great. Like I did with Bob Dylan. Like you do with. Yeah. Uh, later Radiohead whatever yeah um, but anyway go back to this one yes <laughs> it's a wet off one there no we we had to this is from the 67 album Surrealistic Pillow which also has White Rabbit on it which is another absolute classic yes. Um I don't uh, remember how that album goes I think I might have listened to it when I was about 20 mm. so I must give it another blame again um, this is originally a song by The Great Society uh, but the singer Grace Slick took this song from that band and brought it with her Jefferson Airplane uh, which I'm sure she's glad she did because then everyone actually heard it this time mm. around uh, this song has everything right it has an unreal vocal performance like yes. it's just so good <laughs> it's just the tone of her, the way it's yeah. recorded now is brilliant it has an incredible solo the musicians are all absolutely killing it for the whole thing uh, I like the lyrics they're, they're simple right. but, but I enjoy them um, obviously Jim Carrey did Version that is it's just then, impossible not to do it. You have to talk about it. Yeah. Because yeah, I only watched that film the other day. Same. And, that song, and uh, he actually released that as a single. Oh, he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't no, have done if, that. No, it flopped badly. Of course it did. He shouldn't have done that. Just that's look cool wearing joke. that tassel that's jacket. The, that's the joke from the film. I don't want to hear it. I want to see it. Yeah. It's a visual performance. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. Look, I think... <laughs> All these songs people are going to, like, if everyone thinks that any of these are too obvious, I don't know if you're getting the... But yeah, what we're going for here. Yeah, what we're going for. But yeah. yeah, Jefferson Airplane, Somebody to Love, another one of those songs I don't think anybody hates. Yes, so, uh, very that's much. My, who's your next one? Next one is very much in the same vein, and it's House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. I do it's, know people that do hate that, though. And I can understand why, but I think it's amazing. It's so good. Uh, Newcastle Band, probably the only good thing to ever come out of Newcastle. Um, yeah, maybe brown. the brown ale sometimes yeah. sometimes I'm not into it but again the grey area um, <laughs> I can appreciate it um, it's kind of cover again it's it's not really their song it, it, it's a weird one uh, Dylan comes into it again it, this is a traditional folk song and nobody can seem to decide if it's a traditional English folk song or whether it's a tra- traditional American folk song right so you've got the music, the melody for it, and then you've got the lyrics for it, and it's it's mental. Like it bear, apparently, it bears some resemblance to a 16th century English ballad called uh, "Unfortunate Rake," and <laughs> uh, Rake. I think Rake meant there uh, is a rake yeah. in Yorkshire. Dance. Um, what was a, what would a, a rake would have been a, a single man or an unmarriable man? I think. Or, oh yeah, right. or or a or a widower. I can't remember one That's or the right. other. Something to do with muscle not lighting them or being dead or something. I can't remember. And, the um, and the rake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, that's a good name for an album. Actually, I'm gonna write that, that down. Um, <laughs> the, apparently, the rising sun was like a a bar or and a whorehouse. Um, 
there was a lot of them around England called the Rising Sun, and it was like a like a flop house fucking piss head debauchery centre. Was it like a, ch- a chain? I don't know whether it was a chain or whether or it was just, just the name of it. Like, oh, that's an old Rising Sun house. I think so. I think that might have been the way it was. Um, uh, the lyrics have been dated back to a song that miners sang not kids like diggers miners um, <laughs> we're singing in 1905 so like that first verse there is a house in New Orleans they call the Rising Sun um, like that's maintained back to 1905 um, the first recorded version of it is in America it's in Kentucky in 1937 right. and then in 1941 Woody Guthrie recorded a version of it now in 1961 Bob Dylan recorded a version of it for his debut album so the animals version of it comes out in 1964 and they heard a Northumbrian folk singer singing it in, in a club a guy called Johnny Handel and he sang like the proper folky kind of version of it there yeah. is a house right. in that type of show and they were on tour with Chuck Berry at the time so they were hearing the way Chuck Berry was doing things and they were like that's really cool we need to find a song because <laughs> we talked about this before. Back in the 60s, like, if the band wrote their own songs, well and good. But that wasn't very important. Like, if the band could play, <laughs> uh, play and like, get knickers wet, then that was more important than them being able to write songs. Because they had thousands of people sending songs in all the time. It had like, like thousands of Jewish lads in America just knocking out killer songs. And then yeah. thousands of random wee people stealing them on black people and selling them, <laughs> selling them to rock and roll bands. So like writing songs wasn't that important, but getting songs was super important. So they were touring with Chuck Berry and they're like, uh, they heard this version of it. They were like, oh my God, like that's, that's really cool. And then they heard Dylan's version of it. So they're like, well, why don't we just take like his uh, chord structure and mess with it like add in like the electric piano and the organ and all this kind of stuff and try and rock and roll it up and it's cool you listen to it like the the lyrics like vocals are buried really low in the mix so like that the, the whirlator and the, the organ and stuff they, they're real high in it they're almost as high as the vocals so it, it keeps this real ch- kind of chugga 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 train keeps on driving throughout it um, it's, I think it's all mono no stereo panning in it whatsoever <coughs> everything is dead centre down the middle there's a rumour that when Bob Dylan heard this version of it because obviously he loved the song because he'd recorded his own version of yeah. it before um, uh, when he heard it on the radio uh, he was driving on the road with a, a couple of guys who were record producers and guys in his band and stuff like that and they came on the radio and he heard it that he pulled the car over to the side of the road and just turned the volume up so we could listen to it properly and apparently the legend goes that that was the moment that Dylan decided to go electric. Huh. That when he heard that sound that they had got out of the song that he had done a version of as well and how they got that real kind of soulful but like voodoo evil sound out of it. He was like, I'm getting an electric guitar. And uh, apparently that's one of the reasons that Dylan went electric and we have the people who liked them then hated him afterwards. <laughs> they hated Dylan. Hate someone over. Hated him going electric. Stupid Because he was seen as this kind of rebellious yeah. folk hero, you know, who walked up now train tracks purist. with a guitar strapped to his back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, just show up whenever the kids are sticking fucking daffodils and guns. Bob Dylan sticks his head up, you know, they're real, the house. Yeah. But um, I love that song to bits. No, uh, that's an amazing song. It's just perfect again. Know if, did, not an original. Who hate the fact that because it doesn't have a verse or it has a chorus, obviously, sort of, kinda. But it's just. It, it but it's a folk change. song, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's the start it's, to finish. It doesn't really change. Yeah, it just does the same thing. I mean, how long is it even? How long is um? 
House of Rising Sun is four, four and a half minutes long, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then it takes that's the long for a song back then. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because th- uh, apparently, that, that's where it gets weird, that their album, uh, the Animals album, I don't know what it was called, <laughs> Animal Style, or whatever you want to call it, but they done the whole 60 thing of renaming the album in America. It was called The House of the Rising oh, Sun. Um, yeah. And then there was, they'd made a deal with the record label to keep it at that length. That's the proper length. Four and a half minutes is the real length. But apparently, the whoever was representing them in America chopped it down to two and a half minutes. Kind of butchered it for the radio over there. They did that with uh, Robbie Williams, do you remember? They, like his first two albums were condensed down to one and then released in America. Really? Yeah, because he'd already him. been out in, in England so long that when... Uh, like by the time Angels and all was doing the doing the rounds, he was already onto his second album in England. Ah, I suppose. So yeah. by the time it got big in America, I think so. We had to go fuck. I have to release like I can't just release my second album over here because we're the Angels. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, not that anyone really cared if, ultimately, but yeah, the remarketing things for America is was a big deal. Yeah, yeah so that's what they done. They chopped it down to two and a half minutes, and they would have been one of the kind of forced. Uh, British invasion bands to make it over to America. They don't really well actually, over there. I actually always thought they were American. Yeah, uh, I kind of thought they were American just because of the lyrics. But when they start, um, I, I, someone, I don't know where someone said it to me ages ago that they were from England, and I was like, nah, they're not. Nah, they're not. And then I looked it up and was like, oh, they are, yeah. And I always just assumed because there is a house in New Orleans because I didn't know it was a folk song. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. Like I'm sure I knew there was different versions, of it, but I thought it was a written song, like you know, not mm. something that was came out of an archaeological dig. Um, <laughs> who is your next one? Bong, <laughs> bong. Oh, I'm looking at it there. I have to pick this. Oh song. yeah, yeah. We haven't. No, I don't think we picked uh, a metal song on the first one, but uh, this is a difficult song. So what I decided to do was not think very hard about it. Just do it. I think that this is. Overall, the best metal song ever written. But it's not my favorite. It's not even my favorite Metallica yeah. song. But it's for him, Bell Tolls. But ultimately, if we were to shoot like this playlist up into space to give to aliens, that's the one never you heard, And they had never heard for him the Bell Tolls. They would go, "Oh, that intro! Mm. Holy shit!" I think it's probably it could be it possibly is one of the most me- important metal songs of all time. Maybe Master of Puppets is more important. I don't know for for becoming mainstream and making metal as big and accessible and turning other people onto it therefore creating more bands creating Definitely. more good, good bands and spreading it out there like the good word of metal or something <laughs> dope on a bar would say yeah exactly but, but listen um, let's put it this way right I'm 40 years of age right and if I'm walking down the road near the church and the church bell goes bong I instinctively <laughs> dun, 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 and just to dun, see if I can get the timing right and yeah. it's happened to me once, and I felt like I was walking on a fucking moon, right? If you can get the timing right in your head between the next bong, then that's your that's you're gonna have a great day. So that intro, you're dead right, outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> just, I just just love it, mm. and um, it it still gives me chills as much as I love Master of Puppets. Like I know how good Master of Puppets is, but and mm. it does different things to me. But this one still gives me chills when I hear the start of that. And it's funny that you say about the bell, like, um, there was, there's two famous songs that we know, rock songs that use a yeah. bell. So there's Hell's Bells, but mm. starts extremely similar. ACDC actually hired, rented out a bell, rented out a mobile recording uh, type of thing. They set up 15 microphones to get that bell sound. Madness. 
Your man Fleming Rasmussen or Rasmussen Flemingson, whatever the guy who does the those albums for things, mm. just got off from a sound pack, yeah. <laughs> or sound a soundtrack pack, and and yeah. queued it up to, to do it. I think it's funny. BBC's sound yeah, effects exactly. LPs, One of those things, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot way to do it, but uh, it's it's it's. I don't. I couldn't really tell you the difference between how I feel about that. No, starting a song with a bell sounds badass. Yeah. It but just does. You can't do it anymore now. Like two of the biggest no. metal bands ever. Yeah. Do it. So it's over. I'm sure loads yeah. of bands have tried to do it as well. I guarantee yeah, it. You can't. Like... It's over. Do it. Do a duck. Do a duck noise. Do something new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do something new. Leave the bells alone, man. Um, yeah. It's like so... motorbikes revving. Everybody doing motorbike motorbikes revving yeah. after a battle of the hill. There was loads of those. Jesus oh, Priest on a thousand yes. of them, like, you know. It's too late, like Motley Crew, girls, yeah. girls, girls. Yeah. It's too late, um, it's over. So the bell at the start obviously uh, gets you going for it, and then you get this intro, which is not a guitar at all. It's uh, it's Cliff Burton playing it's bass, a bass isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So with, with distortion on it, so a lot of people still don't know that. Like, that's fucking. That's just what he did, and that used to be his uh, warm up before he was even in Metallica. That's right. Yeah, it was this other band's warm up tune, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, and he used to play it at like Battle of the Band stuff, mm. like just to. Just in between songs and stuff. So, um, the lyrics, take a look to the sky just before you die. It's the last time you will. Like, it's just, yeah. that really just, I, I, my I don't nipples are getting hard honestly, Yeah, I honestly don't know if it's my favourite Metallica song, but it's, it could be. It's outrageous. It could be. Yeah. Uh, and Roy Lightning is an amazing album. Absolutely it's fantastic great. album. It's great. Um, this is also, fact, the very first song Metallica ever used a click track for. Oh, Interesting. And Lars had a bit of trouble with it. Of course oh, he did. Of course he did. So, yeah. But I'd say that the producer was like, yeah, there's something missing, like the whole song being in time. So Yeah, let's just do it right. Tidy it up, yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound to me too clicky and, and on the rails or anything like that. Mm. I just, yeah. Um, a lot of people will agree that Metallica should be on one of these lists. They may, may disagree with that song. Yeah. But... Uh, that's why I'm in the it's, hot seat and yeah, you're not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too it's too good. It's too good not oh, to be on the best songs ever. Really joking, but yeah, yeah. Uh, fucking, for him the bell tells. One Super. of the best songs I've written and uh, we need to have a metal song on it because uh, yeah, it's silly to, to know. Hence my next choice. Yeah, well, what's your next choice? My next choice is Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Oh, brilliant. Just to yeah, mix it's... it up a little bit, we're, we're, yeah. we're jumping straight out of the 60s and we've, yeah. gone, uh, we've gone into metal and now we're going into hip-hop. Nice. Uh, Fight the Power, Public Enemy, uh, off their toured album, uh, Fear of a Black Planet, released on uh, Def Jam. It's such a good song. It's so <laughs> good. Uh, the, the single, it's interesting actually, the single was released in 1989 for uh, Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing. It was, it was actually written for that. So Spike Lee approaches Public Enemy, says, I need a song and I'm going to use this song throughout the entire movie. Like, I don't want it to be, like, end credit song. Like, I'm going to use yeah. bits of it, like, every five minutes. So, it has to be a murderer. <coughs> so, they were like, <coughs> well, we're working on this new process for our next album. We think we might have, um, we might have kind of invented this new weird way of using samples. So, right. we're going to be able to give you a song that has, like, so many different bits in it. That you'll be able to chop it up and loop them, and like you could, you could use every piece of music you need for this movie. You might be able to get out of this one song. So Spike Lee is like, oh, I'm interested. So they gave him uh, Fight the Power, and he was like, yeah. 
dick out just start wanking in front of them or whatever <laughs> just couldn't believe it so um the, the entire album fear of a black planet is designed to fit as many samples in as possible they use this weird this new technology all these new kind of um like uh, sample decks and stuff like that so they said they wanted to build a, a phil specter-esque wall of sound but in hip-hop right so their production group is a, 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 a crew called the, the bomb squad they basically worked like a factory line and they'd go to a record store and they'd pick up like a thousand LPs and they'd just go through with this thousand LPs and they'd pick like maybe six samples and then give them back to the record store, pick up another thousand LPs, come back, yeah. try and get another five or six samples and they'd done this until they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of samples and then the next guy would take them and he'd start mashing like start chopping up the samples and he he might not be looking for like a full loop he's not looking for like he's looking for and that's it and then he <laughs> finds something else that will fit with and he finds something that went like wah 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 and he'd end up with wah 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 and then he finds something else that fit on top of that as well so it'd be handed off then to a third guy who was after being given this like six minute long insane mashup of samples that are coined in the same key and kind of work together, and he has to sculpt them then into somewhat of a traditional hip hop backbeat, and then like uh, Chuck and Flavor and all that, they'd come in and they'd start whatever, like kind of scratching over and trying to work it out. And they were doing a lot of this in the studio, obviously. So yeah, it would be handed off to a third member who had to glue it back into some sort of traditional style hip hop song, and that's how they created this entire album. So when you listen to right. it, it's it's mad how many samples there are uh, compressed into this song. Now, where this is funny is that th- this album was made in what's called the golden age of hip-hop where uh, royalties for samples didn't exist. So they didn't have to get clearance on any samples whatsoever on this album. Uh, oh, that's mad. They just took them. They didn't even have to give uh, give lists of who they took samples from. It was just uh, this weird legal grey area that sampling existed in that they could create an entire album out of bits and pieces not have to tell anybody that they used their bits and pieces not have to tell the other record labels who's who owns those bits and pieces uh, someone worked it out 10 years ago in, in 2010 somebody worked out it would have cost them 5 million dollars in samples to make this album <laughs> holy shit just in samples uh, and the, the uh, album itself uh, would have been down. I don't, I don't think I would have made any money or so, something weird like that. Would have uh, half the money they made, something like that would have had to have gone back I- into into just the samples. Oh man, I'm so glad that like you know those people didn't get paid. Yeah, in fairness, just so just so we can have this <laughs> album. Uh, exactly, it's an amazing <laughs> it's song. Important. It's an amazing album. It's very very important. Um, it's very, very important. That, that band, that they, they released that new album last year, which is actually all right, and, and I think has the Fight the Power 2020 on it, which is an interesting oh. take on it. Um, I don't mind. I watched the video again today. It's not as good as the original one, but it was more of a more of a political movement, which suits the public enemy style. Also, one of the guys who's rapping in it has this unreal Puma top, and it's got the Puma logo on one side and public enemy logo on the other one, and now I'm going to go looking on the internet to see if I can find it. Because <laughs> uh, I forgot it existed when when I first watched this video, and I watched it literally today. I was like, "Fuck, man! Look, it's like a track top." I'm like, "That's a little beauty." I'm gonna go and try and find it. Now. Uh, yeah, they re-recorded it last year with like Nas and Questlove and Rhapsody, and you know, there's a bunch of people jumped on and made like a five minute version of it. 
it's not that much longer than the original one and Chuck D only does I think maybe one maybe two verses in it and the rest of it's all shopped out but it was done like the videos made kind of out on the street and in people's houses during the initial lockdown before everybody was kind of afraid to uh, to, to, to leave their houses so uh, that's uh, Fight the Power by Public Enemy off Fear of the Black Planet easily one of the greatest songs uh, hip hop songs of all time so who is your next one it is not even my favourite Depeche Mode song, or maybe it is. It's uh, Enjoy the Silence. Yeah. Killer. I think is one of the best songs ever written for many reasons. I think maybe it might not be my favourite because I've heard so much yeah. that you've got your favourite is usually one that's not played as much. It can True. be. But if this was like not a single and just found it on the end of an album, I'd be like, that's the best song ever. Yeah. And it's one. It's definitely one of the best songs ever. So this is from Violator from 1990. Mm. It's a gothic love song with a house music beat behind it. Yeah. That's a mad, that's a mad combination. Most people I know love this song. Like, this is the kind of song that you're mad love and yeah. sing along to, but not because it's like uncool or anything like that. But it's just because it's so good that everyone would like it. Not like, you know, some people go, oh, I heard my man thinking that I'm not listening to that anymore. Sap. Sap. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, though. It's just one of those songs that is played at like weddings. Yeah, definitely. But you could you could also weirdly play it at a funeral as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just so weird. Yeah. Uh, love songs are rarely rarely you get like a love song that's really thoughtful. Yeah. And uh, soft, but you you can also dance to. True. It's 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 kind of an anomaly. This song, I think, mm. uh, it's a rework of Martin Gore's original version of it, which was a ballad. Okay. So, it was Flood who suggested that the producer Flood obviously uh, suggested that it needed a guitar line. So Martin Gore went back and put one in, mm. and then it was uh, Alan Wilder from the band that said, "You know what? We should make this like dance here." Mm. And that's why it's just weirdly worked. That shouldn't work. Yeah, it shouldn't. Like having a love ballad that t- turned into a dance song. I know people do remixes that are good. Yeah, but that's mad. I think the vocals and lyrics are perfect for what the song is supposed to be. Absolutely, and. The synths are insanely mm-hmm. lush and incredible. Just love the sound of it. Like, I just genuinely prefer the Depeche Mode. I think everyone does after Vince Clark. But that's not to say Vince Clark's not amazing. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. We talked about Vince Clark and Depeche Mode briefly earlier when we were talking mm. about heroes. But there's something about the start of this song. That just gives you the chills. I know I said that about yeah. Autumn, but that's, that's one of the best songs that's, ever, though. What, that's, that's just an that's attribute loads of these songs share. <laughs> yeah, it's just that, oh, shit. Yes. Oh. Everything in that song sounds perfectly yes. good and, and fitting for, for every... Even though it's an anomaly, nothing really sounds odd. You might be able to change the drums. And I don't think... It, it, it sounds fucking weird. If you went back to just normal, some normal songs, drum beating that. Yeah, some, sometimes you've heard something so many times that to make even a rudimentary change to it would mess it all up, you know? Like we're talking about with the Righteous Brothers, like you think that they could come back a couple of years later and re-record that with better instruments in a better studio, using <laughs> yeah. digital technology and stereo and blah, but no, it's, it's, it's horrible. Like, Most re-recorded stuff sounds bad. It's yes. mad because... I've heard so many bands do a re-recorded album or a greatest hits re-recorded and sometimes I'll accidentally play them when I'm DJing because oh, yeah. I've downloaded that or got, got that version and I'm like oh yeah like it sounds clear but there's no energy in it yeah and it's yeah. overproduced actually overproduced mm. definitely so 
Um, there's no, this is the, there's no point in playing any of these songs because people can already hear them playing in oh, their head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you can hear "Enjoy the Silence" right now. Yeah, just the start of it. That like almost it is kind of a house beat. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It the there's there's a collection of about. I mean, obviously, there's more than 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 I'm thinking of, but there's a collection of about six Depeche Mode songs that, like. Anybody who's into music could name them from the first two seconds. Like play yeah. the first two seconds of it, and they go <gasps> enjoy the silence or whatever. Pick pick any one of those Even songs. You know? Just can't get enough. Did 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 did. Yeah, like that's that's another. It, it's yeah. just that's enough for for most people who you don't even have to be a massive Depeche Mode songs. You, you are a Depeche Mode fan. You just know them. They're just like genetically in you. Like you mm. can't help it. And I don't know. That's what one of my favorite bands, and Violator is one of my favorite albums. Super. And this is the best song. On it. it is like I think it is. It, I know, super. like it's. I've heard it so many times, but this this list is a little bit. You have to have a bit of cop on yeah. as well, and not get fucking hipstery about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. is as big as it is for a reason. Exactly. Like, it's it's not it's not famous and well loved because it's all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so that's that's my that's my second last choice. Who's yes. your next one? Uh, my last one. What's your last one? Uh, my last one is I heard it through the grapevine by Marvin Gaye. Oh, Jesus, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Um, again, another cover. Um, cover is probably the wrong word, actually. Yeah, I get you. Cover is probably the wrong word. It's um, it's, it's it's not it's not heard for years and then covered. Uh, kind of now. This this is an anomaly in itself. This song, so this song was written by uh, Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong for Motown in 1966. So they had teams of just songwriters, right? Again, as we said earlier, it's the 60s. So they have guys who just write songs. That's their job all day, all night, banging out songs, writing it down, sheet music, showing people how to play it, and then legging it. Um, a lot of the time, they would work as producers on these songs as well in the studio. Um, the first recording of the song was Gladys Knight and the Pips in 1967 um, Marvin's version was released in 1968 a year later mm. now his this is weird his song was the second to be recorded but the third version of the song to be released there was another cover weird. of it as well yeah it's weird so all all within essentially a year 67 to 68 there was three versions of this song released that's the way Motown would work it. Um, a lot of the time, uh, Barry Gordy just had this thing where if he smelled the winner, he just like <laughs> he just do it again, just do it again. Yeah, it's mad. Like uh, this comes up a lot. So it's not re- is it a cover? It's just so, it's just a song written by someone else that happens to have been released, exactly. but wasn't very big. Maybe exactly. That, it was it was yeah. it was written for the record label, and the record label used it how they wanted. Like it's not a Gladys Knight the Pip song. It's recycling more than exactly. recycling more than covering. I suppose exactly. Yeah. Um, so they they put it on Marvin's uh, album Groove, uh, which eventually was renamed. I heard it through the grapevine, of course. Uh, yeah. After uh, that was album's released in nineteen sixty eight. So, they, as I said earlier, they used to do that all the time, where it'd be thrown into an album, and then the album does well, and they're like, listen, it's not called that anymore, your album, it's now called the name of that big hot single, so we can sell more of it. Um, the recording of the song took it took ages, it took over a month to record it, because he done, Marvin done all the backing vocals himself, 
and then mm. they decided that they didn't want to use his backing vocals. They wanted to uh, use one of their kind of in-house studio um, vocalist groups, a group called the Andettes. Uh, I think it was the Andettes or the Andantes. I can't remember. And the Andantes, I think they were called. It was like a female session group. And they brought in uh, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra to do the string section for it as well. So it took, it took ages to put it together. <coughs> and yeah, they, the producer, I think the producer they brought in might have been Norman Whitfield. It was one of the guys who wrote the song. Had a big row with Marvin. Because he wanted Marvin to sing it um, in a higher key. But Marvin yeah. wanted to do it in his kind of low, kind of sexual healing voice, you know. He wanted to do that kind of raspy, kind of groovy kind of feel to it. And he was like, no, I want you to go up. I want you to do that. And he was like, yeah. oh, man, all sound good. And the producer was like, deal with that way, I'm telling you. Because we're going to get these, these mots in and they're going to kill it, man. The background vocals are going to be killer. Because they slowed it right down. Like the, the Gladys Knight and the Pips version is faster. So they, they apparently the the guy the guys who wrote the song they were, ended up recording they recorded like twenty versions of this song with twenty different groups uh, before they decided who were going to be kind of best to carry the torch forward with it. Yeah. So uh, it got released three times. I mean, it's been released more times than that now, but at the, at the time, three different acts en- ended up releasing it. Uh, instruments were all played by the Funk Brothers, who were this famous Detroit-based kind of session group who uh, played on something like 99% of Motown's tracks until the early 70s when Motown moved to Los Angeles. They opened up, uh, expanded their record label into LA just because that's closer to where the action was and it was inevitably kind of led to the downfall downfall of Motown. But that's another show for another day. So they, if you go and look at this group, the Funk Brothers, like they had, between them, they had 150 number one hit songs. Like, Jesus. It's an outrageous amount of songs. They played on thousands and thousands of like albums, not even songs. Like They were just on everything. But uh, they had 150 number ones between them. And like, you have to remember that they'd be, they'd be handed, handed like the sheet music for someone who wrote it on like a piano. You know what I mean? So someone hands it over like... I heard it through the grave for you and bling, 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 yeah, bling, I'm bling. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine that on, like, like, just a piano on its own. Exactly. And then it's handed over to this group and they, they have to all come together and figure out how to make it cool, you know? Because they, they had they had absolute trust in, in these groups, like uh, Funk Brothers. Now, Funk Brothers is interesting because there's 13 official Funk Brothers, but realistically, hundreds of unofficial guys passed through that like there was crossover with, with uh, like the Wrecking Crew and stuff like that as well and like even like Ray Parker Jr uh, Ghostbusters song guy like he was in the, the, the Funk Brothers for a while playing keyboard uh, Marvin yeah. Gaye played drums for the Funk Brothers as a session musician like it's he, just oh yeah yeah a, no. played piano and he played drums as a session musician as well yeah pretty much all these guys um, apparently the way that, a lot of the time what, the way it used to work is that say someone like the guy, guys who wrote the song Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong they wanted to be recording artists but their work was too good like they were too valuable a resource as musicians and songwriters um, so they didn't want to waste them as actual performers they didn't want to run them into the ground so they'd say right here's here's what we'll do is you write me a hundred songs and I'll let you record an album and they'd be like yeah. oh my god because they want to be performers 
So they'll bang out a, a, a heap of killer tracks and try and keep a few for themselves. And then eventually you'll see uh, Motown or Tamiya, whoever, is going to let them put together an album. And it's probably not going to do very well because the label's not going to push them too hard because they want to keep them, you know, at home with the piano in front of them, banging out hits for the other people that they can run into the ground on the road, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and like, it never turns out well for any of them. Like, Marvin Gaye killed his dad, like, or gets killed by his dad. Like, it's, it, it never ends well for any of these people, you know? Like, I can Tina Turner, like getting shit kicked out of them like it's just uh, the road is a terrible place so the record label knows this I, I don't think I could do it now I wouldn't be into it I wouldn't be into it either, if I was no. young young and all that yeah I think missed yeah. me opportunity anyway. I, I'd, I'd be a, I could do it now with absolute like luxury you know what I mean like a, a big bus with <laughs> yeah. a bed and all and a playstation and all that kind of malarkey I could do that <laughs> but like the way I used to do it was just like 10 of us in the back of a van freezing driving 10 hours across America I'm not doing it's never happening again um, I don't know how I survived the first time I know I'm old and bits of me are falling off and I'm just not doing it again <laughs> so uh, so yeah they keep they, they they just want to keep these songwriters they're like we'll let you release an album at some stage if you keep writing music for us and they were happy enough with this because I getting a few bob off as well but I mean yeah. <coughs> looking at the list that the, this group Funk Brothers played on like of songs just like My Girl Baby Love Papa Was a Rolling Stone Tears of a Clown Ain't No Mountain High Enough Baby I Need Your Love Stop in the Name of Love Do You, do you Love Me My Cherie and more it just the list just goes like it's on and yeah. on and on and on so like they had the greatest musicians for that style of music in the world and it still took them a month to get that song right and <laughs> it sounds it sounds every minute like, like I can't say it and I released like a song months ago and yeah but it's you my second single it's you and your own you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's like, very true, actually. There was I'm hundreds. Sitting, I'm not sitting in a studio either. Exactly. You're in your gaff. <laughs> like, um, like, this is Marvin Gaye, who's already like an established kind of act and like, yeah. had been working in the biz, biz for a while and had like some of the greatest musicians in the world and the greatest songwriters and producers. If music was my job, I'd never be out of the studio. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, you just stay there. Live there. Yeah, it's I'd calling. Constantly like, trying to make the next best sounding thing exactly. ever. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, anyway, that was my last one. I heard through the grapevine by Marm Gay. It's a song I can never get bored of. Um, also, uh, the Slits version of it is one of the best covers oh, of all time. That is one of the best covers yeah, ever. It really is. is. Yeah, it's the top 10 covers of all time. Uh, yeah. And um, it's just a perfect, perfect piece of music. Uh, who is your last one? My last one is uh, Stevie Wonder Superstition. Oof. So you've mentioned Stevie Wonder yep. in our last thing. We talked about Machinery more, and you've mentioned uh, Motown as well. So this yep. is kind of important to this story. So this was released on uh, the 24th of October, 1972, as the fourth single from uh, his, Jesus, his fifth, by 72, this was his 15th album. Yeah, yeah. Because he was a kid. He started off as a like, yeah. little Stevie Wonder, I know. Yeah. So that was Talking Book, and it was his fourth number one in 10 years. Talking Book Nine years. Outrageous. Nine and a half. Yeah. Outrageous. Um so this has Jeff Beck. The album has Jeff Beck on it. I'm not entirely sure if he plays. I don't think he, because he's a guitarist. I don't think he's on this. But what the idea was, he said to Jeff Beck, will you come and play guitar on my album, Talking Book? And in return, uh, I'll write you a song. Mm. Shit, yeah, that sounds deadly. So they're in the studio anyway. And um, Stevie's like, I need some drums to, 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 to go with this bit I'm coming up with. And Jeff Beck's like, I don't really play the drums. Like, Let's go back and just do a drum thing. Mm. Come on. Anyone can really do it if you're in bands long enough, mm. you know, just to help to lay a little beat down. So he does that anyway, and he starts playing this like a lot of people think that 
uh, superstition starts with a bass, much like they thought for him the bell toll starts with a guitar. Yeah. It's not. It's uh, Stevie Wonder playing on a thing called a honer clavier, which is a, a synth bass. Deadly. So the whole thing is a, a synth bass. That's why, yeah. Oh, it just sounds absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, and Beck was like, Jeff Beck said, yeah, Jesus, this is cool. Can I have this song? And Stephen was like, yeah, yeah, you can release this with, with your band. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what happened? No, he was, true to, he was true to his word in a sense. He goes, like, I'm putting it on the album, but like, you release, I'm not releasing it as a single or anything. Like, I'll just stick yeah. it on. He's like, yeah, yeah. And you and your band um, release it as uh, a single. Like, yeah. So his band, Beck, Bogart and Apis were taking ages to uh, get their shit together. And they were supposed to release it, I think, around the same time as this album came out. Yeah. But Barry Gordy heard this album, Talking Book, and went, so uh, this Superstition song yeah. is going to be massive. Steve's like, nah, I, I told... Uh, I gave away. He's, he's can release it as a single. And Barry Gordy goes, yeah, no. Though. <laughs> yeah, how about nah? How about that? And mm. we're going to release Superstition, you fucking sap. Mm. Uh, and they released it. And like then... Obviously, Jeff Beck released it after it was sort of pointless. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh my God, one of the best songs ever. It is one of the best songs ever. It's one of the funkiest mm. songs I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I remember it's... as a kid thinking that this 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 song, at the time it was the funkiest, I defined oh, funk definitely. by this song. 100%. Now, now I know there's more songs that embody funk a little bit better. But as a kid, I was like, I know how funk is. It's superstition. It's that, yeah. It's funk What rap. annoys me is, is Stevie Wonder, who's a savage drummer. Asking someone else to play drums. Well, he couldn't do it both at the same time. Uh, well, it wasn't the studio, not Larry. I think it was just a two. Probably, had, probably had was... a two track or something running at the same point. I don't know. I've no idea, but yeah, that's mad. She's like, keep playing it, keep playing it. I'm going to. Yeah, that's mad. I don't know, yeah. He did play every instrument and yeah, the rest of his stuff. Because this is like, the first time. Killer drummer. Killer drummer. Yeah, he's, he's ridiculous at everything. Yeah. He is, he's yeah. an amazing Poor, voice. Yeah, he's got time to concentrate on them, hasn't he? <laughs> You know, I was not watching Game of Thrones. Because he's, he's a professional, is what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that, that uh, they released it as the lead single off Talking Book. And of course they did. It was a few months later that Beck was released his one on uh, the, the Beck Bogart and Apis album. I don't know if I've ever heard, heard that heard. Beck version. No, it's just one of one of uh, his one of uh, Jeff Beck's band ideas. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so he's coming from the yardboards and he wants to do something else. And, uh, yeah. Tim Bogart is in it. I don't really know who he is, actually. Mm. Um, or do I know who he is? Which oh, no, oh, name rings hell. Vanilla Fudge, of course. There you so go. that's there's funk. I'm going to give that album actually a listen now. If, yeah, if I have, this, I have it. It's yeah. a fantastic album. Oh, do you, hang on. Beck Bogart and Apples? No, no, no. Are oh, you talking no, about that now? I'm talking about Talking Book. No, no, yeah. So no, I, I do like Vanilla that. Fudge. So. Um, so look, get back to the song itself, Superstition. Is I think lyrically it's really fun. Yeah, it's it does it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's a little bit like what's what it is to superstition itself. What Alanis Morissette is to irony. Yes, except but this makes more sense and yeah. it's used correctly. So ironic <laughs> and superstition. Those singing off the cuff, very heart on their sleeve about the stuff, and it's very literal. But yes. Ah oh, man, Stevie Wonder. It's just so much fun to listen to his music. It really yeah. is. And this is uh, my favorite. I need to listen to more Stevie Wonder as well. I know he's 15 albums before this came out though. Yeah, there's this too much. I, I like Stevie Wonder, but there's only about, there's about four albums that 
like I think are unreal and the rest of it is just give me the best of Stevie Wonder to be honest with you. Yeah, because as a kid I had the best Stevie Wonder. It's actually a double one. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a music that, aquarium. No, it, I think it's just like double CD. It's like has a purple cover and a purple inlay. Right. I just think it's the best of Stevie Wonder. Yeah, there's, there's a great one and called I, Mu- I think it's called Music Aquarium or Music Aquarium. That's like a two or a three disc uh, yeah. best of Stevie and it just has everything on there from the beginning. Um, so I think I'll go back and listen to Talking Book and Songs in the Key of Life as a, as a kick-off point to get into because Jesus Christ the amount of times he's covered and the amount of influence he's given like we got unfortunately got the Red Hot Chili Peppers no, actually fortunately we got good Red Hot Chili Peppers out of Stevie Wonder what about Higher Ground yeah and just in general yeah, like fun, funk, funk rock like yeah. Funkadelic and Stevie Wonder created sort of like Rage Against the Machine not Rage Against the Machine well they did in a sense Little. but uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers but only one of them bands matters anymore. Pretty much. Actually, no, do Red no, Hot Chili Peppers no, do not matter. No, they don't. Ra- Raid, no, I'm trying to think if Raid matter anymore. Raid, no. Nah, when they, when nah. they came back, be like, be came planned. back and disappeared within a week. They came back, to put pl- no, well, they, they, the pandemic stopped them playing these gigs that they're supposed to do. <sighs> but the tickets were outrageous. Ah, yeah, it's mad money. And there was in the festival here as, as well. There were festivals yeah. all over Europe. Uh, and there were like hundreds of euros a ticket. Like for Sorry, day that's what it was. They were supposed to do fucking electric picnic, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Did they do it? No, because there was no electric picnic. That, it, no, that's that's right. I'm trying to think it was the one before. And that's what annoyed me. Yeah. Instead yeah, of just doing a gig. Go see, they, they did it. They, maybe they don't know much about like, But does no one check what, what kind of festival that is? That's just some booking agent arsehole. And the, the money they take from festivals is like 10 times what they get off a once-off gig. Uh, really? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. Ten times money. in a once-off yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. It's insane money. That's when we we tried to book Wu Tang Clan. Like I said, it was, I think it was like twenty grand or something for Wu Tang Clan to do a gig, or a hundred grand for them to do, or one hundred and fifty grand for them to do a festival. Something weird like that. It was it was right. mental, mental. Well, that's our that's our list anyway. I think it's it's, it's a pretty good. solid as fuck. I noticed that we have a like a lot of people were very interested in the playlist of the first one of these. It's actually quite popular. We we can tell yes, kind of yes. by followers and stuff like that because probably because people typed in best Bad songs ever, ever. like and I did came up yeah like I did when researching <laughs> this list. I was like I need to refresh our course. <laughs> I was like I know I know exactly I know where I'm going with it, but I don't know what to pick. So do I need to see what? them in front of me. I, the only reason I ever do that is in case I forget yeah, the best song of all time. Exactly. I have a stupid, I have a stupid memory on exactly. off the cuff. Like I wanted, I have a bad long term memory, and I haven't got a great short term memory either. To be honest with you, like that. So if I'm thinking like, so, some someone asked me like write down your top ten albums, I'll write them down and I'll forget my number one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And number two, I'll be number four. Yeah, but you remember like so. Jennifer Lopez's birthday or something? It's just something stupid because good exactly. stuff gets pushed out and garbage gets pushed in. <laughs> Yeah, like that's, that's just the way it works. We, especially when we do this podcast. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, anyway, folks, that's it for this week. Thank you very much. Uh, we are back next Monday with another podcast. Back in a week or two with another live show. And if you like to support us, you like what we do, you can go to patreon.com forward slash lost our podcast. That's a subscription based model. Costs you five euros a month for a lot of exclusive podcasts and videos and the full video recordings of our TV show. Yeah, if you want to do it right now, actually, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. Yeah, but well, just 
Yeah, just do it. Here. We'll keep talking. Yeah. We'll, Patreon.com forward slash Lost Time yeah, Podcast. If you, if you, yeah, do it. So do it now, right? While you're <laughs> still listening to this, get on your phone. Do it. We'll wait. We'll wait. But we'll, exactly. we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll wait for the ping on the phone. Uh, yeah. That that also gives you access to the recordings of our live radio show that we do. Um, there's pretty much one every week, but the one that me and Helmet does is, is pretty is every second week. And the, all the record. If you don't listen to that live. Sicking her on you. It's not anywhere except for the Patreon. <laughs> it goes up on Patreon. Um, if subscription-based models are not your thing, you can go to ko com forward slash Lost Our Podcast. All the links are there in the text of the podcast. And you can tip us. This is a job. We've been doing it for nearly two years. And a fierce amount of work goes into it every week. Hours and hours and hours goes into it every single week. And uh, it's nice to know that you earn a few quid of um, something that you've been doing long term. If you have no money, like us, that's fine. That's fine. Share it out. Share it out on your Facebook, on your Twitter, on your Instagram, on your whatever. Just share it out. Tell your mates because uh, social media is trying to kill us by making us pay for stuff, and we don't make any money off it anyway. All the Patreon Even when money, we pay, it, it like, doesn't send it out to people who would like our podcast. Exactly. So the only way that will work is if you, the listener, tell your mates because your mates are probably a bit like you, and they will like listening to it. Like, so uh, tell your pals tell your Elwyn your Elwyn will love this playlist she'll skip Metallica and Public Enemy but that's alright the rest of it is yeah. mammy proof mammy's 100% skip Metallica and Public Enemy what's you even saying just gonna <laughs> skip it um, that's it for this week folks we shall return next week with a fresh one for you thank you very much yeah. good morning good afternoon good night night